Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 7. If you're wondering what I was doing walking all around the room, uh, my notes moved on me, my Bible moved on me, so I couldn't find them. So uh, (laughs) that's what I was doing. Found them. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. We are continuing our series called King of Kings through the book of Matthew. We're at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has a number of warnings as he's landing his sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at two of those this morning. So let me pray, and I'll read the passage, and we'll we'll jump in. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you that you are the perfect shepherd, the perfect pastor, the most trustworthy, the one who promises that nothing will come against his bride. And we pray we would encounter you today. Pray we would be helped by you. And uh, we pray we'd be alert to your warnings. And we ask for your Spirit's help to pay attention and to learn. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 7, verse 15 through 23. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered through thorn, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus has taught many things so far in the Sermon on the Mount. And as he's bringing it to an end, he's warning the 12 disciples and the broader crowd. And he's warning us to be aware of several things. So the title of today's sermon is Proceed with Caution. So in the Christian life, Proceed with caution. And Jesus is going to tell us two very specific areas to be cautious. And the first is this. Beware of false prophets. And the second is beware of false professions of faith. Those who claim the name of Christ in name only. And we'll get into the details. These these passages can be a little confusing. They can be a little scary. They can be sobering. And Jesus wants us to be prepared. Uh, Because in our age, it's no different than when Jesus first spoke these words. We have the same challenges in the church universal and the church local 
that were in the, the New Testament times. So let's look at it, um, two separate ones. Warning number one, beware of false prophets. And when Jesus is using this in the Sermon on the Mount, I think he's using this in the way that the Jewish teachers would have used prophets in this kind of broad category as one who speaks for God. So uh, not just specifically the prophets of the Old Testament or people in the New Testament have the gift of prophecy, but those who represent God, speak the words of God. So I think in our modern context, this could be any church leader. This could be pastors, teachers, uh, Christian teachers, worship leaders, um, any kind of office or role where somebody is, is, is speaking on behalf of God through, through His Word. So I'm going to interchange some words. I might say false prophet, false teacher. Uh, it's all under the same big umbrella. But it's a thing, and he wants us to be wise and to be aware that there will always, in different forms, be those who give the appearance of something that they're not. And it can be really confusing, really disillusioning for us as Christians when that happens. And so he wants us to not be afraid, but to be on guard, to be aware, to have a healthy um, awareness that this, this really is a thing. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So they look like one thing, and they're a completely different thing. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them, you will recognize the false prophets, the false teachers, by their fruits. So let's just kind of walk through this slowly. False prophets look like real teachers, pastors, prophets, they have an appearance of godliness. They, the really deceptive ones get away with it for a long time. But they're not what they appear. So this is kind of the classic application of, of don't judge a book by its cover. False prophets or false teachers or false pastors are often very gifted. They're often promoted way too quickly. And they're not what they appear. They appear, as Jesus is saying, like sheep, part of God's family. And, and you don't see their, their, their teeth. You don't see that they're actually predators intending for harm. And so he says, be on guard, beware. False prophets look like sheep. They hide in Christian trappings. So they, they speak the language. They know the word. They are often really good communicators or gifted worship leaders. Um, it was true in Jesus' time. It is true in our time. And they infiltrate churches at times and cause great confusion and damage. If you ever look at Christianity Today online, it, it's not, I don't think it's an exaggeration at all that at least once a month there is some scandal nationally 
of a prominent Christian leader who turns out is not what they appear to be. It's a sad reality, and Jesus wants us to be aware, to be on guard, and to know how to navigate that as Christians. Beware of false prophets, he says in verse 15, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So we don't want to be paranoid, and he's going to instruct us how to actually identify them to some degree, but we want to be wise. Just like um, my, my niece, who's 20 years old, was in Ecuador for a, a semester abroad through Liberty University this past um, semester, and there was very specific rules given to American students uh, that, that they just needed to know. There were certain curfew hours, there was um, where the area she was in, um, you had to carry your, your book bags or your backpacks in front of you because pickpockets would slice them open and stuff would fall out and the thieves would come in and take your stuff. So, so they, they could navigate it, but they had to be aware. So they had to listen to the warnings and heed the warnings and know how to kind of navigate that. And that's kind of what, what Jesus is doing here. Those of you who have been Christians for any amount of time, you, you've experienced it either personally or just by observation on a national scale or an international scale. People you have benefited from, learned from, sought to learn from, and then they, they kind of crash and burn with their character, or they crash and burn with their teaching, or often they crash and burn with both. One of my burdens as I was praying and, and preparing today was particularly for those of you who are new Christians, that you would be prepared that when this does happen, and if you live long enough, it will happen, sadly, to some degree, that there will be a leader or leaders that you look to, either from a distance or personally, that their private, personal lives are not matching their public persona at all. And it's disillusioning. So I want to prepare you. Here's, here's some advice to prepare you, particularly new Christians, but this applies to us all. You will encounter counterfeit leaders. You will. Unless Jesus comes back today, or you die today, um, which I hope you don't die today, um, you will encounter counterfeit leaders. But if you know Jesus, it, it's, the word's true. It's going to be far better. Uh, number two, do not be enamored with certain leaders. Don't, don't, don't get sucked in because they, they are just eloquent and can just command a crowd and, and can do all these things. Judge in a right way their content. If you know them, get to know their, their character. Only Jesus is perfect, but God's leaders are called to a certain standard of character. And so you can, you can rightly judge that and, and navigate that. Give your allegiance to Jesus and not to church leaders. Thank you, Pat. I'm going to say it again. You say that again, too. Give your allegiance to Jesus, not church leaders. That's right. That is absolutely right. And if you can do that, you will be well prepared when these kind of things happen. If you, are, if you have this, uh, you're just looking to them more than you're looking to Jesus, you're looking to their particular teaching more than you're looking to God's Word in Jesus 
it will flip you on your head and it's, uh, it's like going in the ocean and being tossed around by the waves. You'll eventually get back up, but you, you'll be all disoriented and all confused. And it's still confusing when it does happen, but if Jesus is your hope, if he's who you're looking to, and you are studying being like the Bereans, and you're just examining what is being taught by the word, you will be so much better when those kind of things happen. Examine the content of their teaching and lives and look past the flash. Whatever that flash would be. It could be their, their style. It could be the crowds that they draw. It could be their social media following. Um, it could be a variety of things. Whatever kind of draws you in. If you feel like you are particularly just getting sucked into a certain teacher, ask yourself, why? Is it the content? What is it that's so drawing you? Now, this may seem like a dumb thing for me to be talking about because I'm a pastor and I'm teaching. So we want you to benefit, but we want you to benefit as you subject what we teach to God's Word. And you're going to God's Word. We don't want you to trust in us as your pastors. We Hopefully we are trustworthy, but we, we don't want you to put your hope in us. We want you to put your hope in Jesus, who is perfect and unchanging. Jesus is never surprised when, when this happens in the church. He's never surprised. We're going to dive into this a little bit more, but keep in mind that Jesus' team, His 12 recruited, chosen by Jesus, hand-selected disciples, one of the 12 was a wolf, was a betrayer, was one who intended harm for Jesus. His name was Judas. While Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount and warning the disciples, most likely Judas was nodding and listening and showing some sort of agreement. You might say, well, how do you know that? Because that's not there. Well, one of the hints, is if you on your own read John 13, Jesus at one point says to his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. One of you will betray me. And the disciples didn't know who it was. They were confused by what he said. and They they were just perplexed. Meaning they couldn't pick Judas out among them. He was teaching like they were teaching. He was doing miracles like they were doing miracles. He was casting out demons like they were casting out demons. And, And all the while... He was doing other things that showed his true, true motives. He was among them. Now, for those of you who have been Christians for a while, and I'll put myself in this group too, many of us have been disillusioned and confused by duplicitous church leaders who appear to be one thing and are another. It is disorienting. I don't mean this just theoretically. I've experienced this. It's very disorienting. It's hard. But here's what I would really, really urge you to not do. When that happens and when you get confused, do not blame that on Jesus and do not leave Jesus. Do not walk away from the faith. Do not walk away from God's people. Now, it might be that another local church might be a better fit with all the stuff that's going through that you've been through. 
But don't leave God's plan, which is worshiping and hoping in Jesus and being with God's people. It's really tempting to just take your Bible and and just want to be by yourself. I I totally, totally, totally get it. really do. Um, But it's just not God's plan. He wants us to be messy together and to work this out together. And it will be messy, but it's good. And Jesus will honor and bless that. So keep moving towards Jesus when these kind of things happen. But false teachers, false prophets are a thing. Judas, one of the twelve, was among Jesus' disciples for three years. He was part of the core group, the core twelve. So he would have had breakfast and dinner and lunch with Jesus. He would have shared burdens and had the disciples share burdens and had the best teaching that's ever existed in the world land upon his ears over and over again. And yet something was twisted in his heart. We get glimpses of it if you read the Gospels. Here's a glimpse. There's this beautiful scene in the book of John where this woman named Mary who had been transformed by Jesus comes to show her appreciation and and worship. And, And this is what John writes. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So this was an act of worship from Mary to Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. But Judas was there. Listen to what what John writes. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So that, I mean, that's a plausible argument, right? Why not, why not take that money rather than rubbing it on Jesus' feet and, and let's, let's cash it in and we'll give that $300 to the poor? That could be an okay conversation to have in discussion. But John gives a diagnosis. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. She was preparing Jesus, even though he didn't know it. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So he was off in his heart, internally there was major sins rising up. And externally, he looked like the other 11. And according to church history, 10 of the other 11 were killed for the faith. They were martyrs. And John most likely died in exile on the island of Patmos, meaning they were the real thing. And they devoted their entire adult lives after they met Jesus to preaching the gospel. Then John says this in John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his, this hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into, Ju- 
Judas's heart, Simon's son, to betray him. And so it, it was beginning to unfold. And then Jesus said this to his disciples because he knew which one was going to betray him. He said, not all of you are clean. Eleven of you are clean, but one of you is not. So, the foundational leaders of the church had an enemy in their ranks who would betray the King of Kings, fully God and fully man. We should not be surprised when that happens among us. Locally, or nationally, or internationally. We want to pray against it. We want to pray that it wouldn't happen. We pray that it would be exposed. So the question is, how do we, how do we recognize it? How do we, how do we know what to do? Jesus gives some analogies. Look at verses 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered for thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So how do you tell? You'll recognize them by their fruits. So this week I had a pile of commentaries and I'm reading different um, scholars' opinions and pastors on this subject. Um, Some say the fruit is their teaching. And some say the fruit is their behavior, bad teaching, bad behavior. And one who I thought was very persuasive said it was both. And I I tend to lean towards, I think the bad fruit can be both. It can be character and it can be teaching. And I think that because it shows up in other places in the New Testament. But you wrestle through that. Um, But I'm going to take the approach that this bad fruit could either be the fruit of the flesh described in Galatians, or it could be error, false teaching, like um, the Galatian church was dealing with um, when Paul wrote to them. So you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Of course they're not. You wouldn't go out like, Mom and Dad, I'm going to go get grapes. I'll go out into the backyard, go to the thorn bush and start picking them. They're not there. They don't, they don't come from... Thorn bushes, they come from grapevines or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased trees bear bad fruit. You could say Judas was a diseased tree. Bad fruit was being born. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Now, the most deceptive, the most dangerous, are the most difficult to spot. There's no, no doubt there. So you pray. You pray for discernment. Collectively, as a church, we want you to be discerning. We want you to speak up when you have concerns. We want you to bring things to our attention and not assume that we're aware of them. Um, whether they're concerns about us or, or others. And we want to kind of walk through these things and be great students of this book. Not just the pastors who teach, but the whole congregation. Students of the Word. There are things that churches, and us included, have learned over the years. I think, I think churches do a major disservice when people are promoted too quickly in leadership. 
Um, and, and usually when that happens, it's because the people are very gifted. Either musically or in teaching or in preaching. And the gifts kind of catch everybody's attention. And, and we, we might just assume the character. Not overlook it, but just assume it. And character gets tested and revealed and forged over time. And so the Bible doesn't give lengths of time or ages for these things, but it does give principles. Here's a principle in 1 Timothy 5.22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. The context there is talking about setting in elders into church leadership. Don't do it quickly. Don't, Don't put them in prematurely. It does a disservice to them, and it does a disservice to the church. The elders we have are our five elders here at the church. Uh, myself, Mark, Jason, Kay, and Dave are, are um, and maybe it's because we're all getting older, but we just like to go slow. We like to go like molasses at this point. doesn't mean we don't take risks for the Lord, but when it comes to leadership stuff, we are in first gear. Um, and praying and trying to be wise. Um, Paul gives some insights to, to a, a principle that I think informs this. The sins of some people are conspicuous. They're, they're obvious. You can see it. You can see it before they even walk in the door. Going before the judgment. But the sins of others appear later. It, it, sometimes it takes time. It takes pressure. It takes circumstances for bad stuff to be revealed. The opposite is also true. Pressure, difficult circumstances, also is used by the Lord to reveal godly character. We have seen it over and over again as certain individuals have been pressed and boy, the the fruit tree just is abundant in the fruit of the Spirit. Um, So we want to go slow. But we want to have this category. We want to be cautious. One of the last things the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders that he knew was the last time he was going to see him, he knew he was about to die, and this is what he said to them, among other things. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul knew The church was Jesus's. Jesus shed his blood for it. Then he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. By their teaching and by their behavior. And from among you, your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things, so that's doctrine, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish even with tears. We want to be vigilant in this area. We want to trust the Lord in this area. We want to pray. We want to work together as a whole church, body, and family. So be aware of false teachers, false prophets. Warning number two. This one's even maybe more confusing, a little more difficult to get our minds around. Beware of false professions of faith. Beware of people that say they're Christians that are not. Beware of yourself 
going through the motions of Christianity without actually repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. This is probably the one of, if not the scariest, most sobering passages in the New Testament for churchgoers, if you really consider what, what Jesus is saying. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's confusing. Not everyone that says, Jesus, King Jesus, King Jesus, will enter the kingdom of heaven or will be saved. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Do mighty works in your name. And I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this verse, this section of Scripture can be downright scary. So let's just walk through it. And, and, and try to understand what it means and what it doesn't mean. So let's look at verse 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, when are the kingdom of heaven? But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me first at the outset, the next time Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons come to your door, this is an example that Jesus really did believe he was king and Lord. He's identifying himself as Lord. And so just a, a side note, when they knock on your door, you can go to this passage and have a discussion about it. But it's not what we're talking about. Here's the thing. There's a category, Jesus is saying, that people will die and be before Jesus on Judgment Day. Let me in. And He will say no. And that's meant to have an effect on us. And that's meant to hopefully have a loving effect on those we care about it. I care about who are professing to be Christians, but, but might not have a genuine faith. What he's talking about here is those who give lip service to Jesus, but have not been born again, have not experienced the new birth, have not hoped in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for salvation. They've been in the church. They've been among Christians. They might know the Bible way more than some who are genuinely born again, but they don't know the Lord. This is one of the reasons Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. Jesus, and we're going to see this more clearly in a moment, he's not teaching a work salvation, but he is saying someone who is genuinely born again will want to do the will of my Father, will want to live in obedience to the commands of Scripture, not to earn salvation, but as an evidence they've been made alive. That's not a perfect 
picture. We're in process till the day we meet with the Lord. But it is a reality. What's hard about these passages, especially in a room this size and with people watching online, is there are, there are some of you with a super sensitive conscience that you, you, you love Jesus. Maybe you're aware of your sinful past. You think, oh, maybe, that, maybe that's me. No, you have turned from your sins. You believe Jesus is your substitute. And that's your hope for this life and the life to come. And if that is genuine, you are saved. And not only will He let you in, but He'll have a big smile on His face. I I died for you. I couldn't wait for this moment for you to come into my kingdom and see me face to face. Now there are others of you that your conscience is so seared and hardened that you, you really don't love Jesus. You, you, you go to church because that's how you were taught to go or your friends, your family members want you to go. But if you're being totally honest, you cannot say you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ at this moment. And this warning is for you to feel that. One of the mistakes that Jesus is pointing out is there was a group of people, let's say, in the church that were trusting in churchy things to save them, to give them the entry pass. And these churchy things were actually very dynamic. It wasn't like kind of non-dynamic things. Listen to what it is. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Meaning God gave impressions and we spoke them in the name of Jesus. Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works, miraculous things in your name? Well, if the 21 wasn't confusing, this is even more confusing, right? What is going on there? A couple things are going on. One, the people that were appealing were appealing to a works, to their their deeds to get them into heaven. Not Jesus' substitutionary atonement on their behalf. But also it opens a category. Can, Can you do these things and not be born again? Seems like you might be able to in certain circumstances. How that works, I have no idea. If you know, you can tell me. But here's an example. John 9, 38, 39. It's not real clear if this group is born again or not. John said to them, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does mighty works in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. So Jesus is almost using it as like, oh, it could be evangelism. Like they said, demon, go away in Jesus' name. And, and the demon did. And then maybe Jesus is saying, they'll trust in me or they'll, they'll speak well. So there's, it's a wild world out there. And so there, there are, I think the older I get, the, there are just things that don't fit in the box. This would be one that does not fit in the box. The point though Jesus is making is do not place your confidence in any kind of service to the Lord, any kind of ministry success or impact for the Lord. Place your sole hope 
in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Christian activity does not save you. Christian activity is not proof of your salvation and is not what we want to hope in on Judgment Day. Jesus said this to the 72 that that He sent out. He commissioned. They went out. They did what He said and they came back. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. And He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven as God's kingdom is advancing. Behold, I give You authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So we want to do powerful works for the Lord. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's where our primary joy should be found. No matter who you are, no matter what gifts God has given you, no matter how you serve in the body of Christ, be thankful for the opportunity to serve and make an impact, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So the way to prepare for that day, and that day will come whether you want it to or not, that day of judgment, where some will go to hell and some will go to heaven is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Think about it this way. You and I have spent our lives getting ready for certain days. If you're in elementary school or high school, you're, you're preparing for graduation. That's a day. If you're going to college, Preparing for that day. If you're starting a career, you're preparing for that career. If you're wanting to get married, you're preparing for that wedding day. If you're becoming parents or hoping to become parents, you prepare for that day. If you are starting a career, you're preparing for that career. And then once you're in that career, you're preparing, how can I advance in that career? And then Something tips, and you're preparing for how I can retire from that career. You're preparing for days. Day after day, there's a day fixed. You plan, you prepare, you think about it. Or you think, oh, I should have prepared for that day a lot more than I did. Either way, some of those days are coming whether you are prepared or not. Well, in the ultimate sense, every human being at every place on the globe, should be most preoccupied by this day that's coming. The day when Jesus returns, when Judgment Day happens, when He comes back for His bride. That's the day we should be most concerned about and excited about. And on that day, you want to be found delighting in Jesus, hoping in Jesus, having lived for Jesus. Not for other things that didn't satisfy. Now, there will be many that make it into heaven that are going to be mangled and sort of will crash and burn their way in because their faith was genuine. But it wasn't vibrant. It wasn't what Jesus had intended. And don't you want to be on that day? Lord, I'm as excited as you are. I can't believe this day is here. 
So morning after morning or evening after evening, Lord, I love you. I love your word. I love your commands. I want to grow in knowing them and obeying them more. I love that you made me alive. I love that your spirit's in me. I love that you're changing me. I just want to worship you and enjoy you. Here's my prayer for all of us is is that we we could say what the Apostle Paul says near the end of his life. And no matter how old you are, it is not too late. You can turn if a turn is necessary. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who love His appearance. Do you love Jesus' appearance? Are you excited to spend time with Him every day? Are you excited to worship Him? If you're not, Lord, help me to delight in You more and more. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray and the band can come up. And we're going to sing a final song. And We picked this song because we want this song to be a prayer. So as you're singing... Pray to the Lord through song and ask Him to make these words real and vibrant in your heart and life. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray for a fresh filling of Your Spirit right now. Pray for Your kids to rise with delight and joy. And Lord, we pray for those who just had a sudden quickened awareness that They don't know you, and you don't know them. Lord, we pray that would change in this moment as they cry out to you and ask you to save them. We will give you all the glory for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.